It's great to be with you. Um, I, I love that you're involved with Samaritan's Purse, with the Operation Christmas Child. Every church needs at least one or two or three what, they, what what's a friend of mine calls all-play uh, experiences. Now, apart from your Sunday school and worship service, ministry kinds of things. And it seems to me this ought to be one of yours because you're pretty well bought into it. And if you haven't, for some reason... Let me commend it to you. Um, that same friend, now his ch- church is made up of only retirees. You have to understand, this is down in Florida. But they do, every Tuesday morning, 90 of them get together, and last year they packed 16,000 shoeboxes. Now that's an all-play church, right, event for them, right? So, but I love what you said. You know, 44 boxes, 60 boxes, it goes into this this grand experience and we have we've told you this before charlotte and i have seen them in in albania and uh, macedonia so all through the balkan region they get there and they put smiles on kids faces that don't see gifts like this as well so let me ask you to turn in your bibles to first john again uh chapter two and i would like us to uh Heed the word of God that begins with verse 28. I'll read it from the English Standard Version. If you'll uh, listen and follow along in your own text. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now little children, that's all of us, and now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall be we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Well, if I wasn't just preaching through 1 John from time to time with you folks, I would skip that passage. Because um, it's not 
not a real comfortable piece of God's word just to read if you take it seriously. What I want to speak to you today actually is about something very important in the life of Faith Bible Church right now and that one word is the word confidence. I'm going to describe for you a road to confidence or the road of confidence. Uh, yesterday Charlotte and I drove up into a little subdivision just to see what one of the builders was building and we saw this this road, this street called Sea Seahorse. It was Seahorse and we're going in Tennessee, a road called, uh, uh, we live on Muddy Creek. Does that make sense? That makes sense, right? Seahorse. Well, sometimes when we think about confidence, confidence can be one of those things that some people experience, but for others, it's about as, as elusive as, a, a, as me trying to catch a groundhog in a garden. It, it's very difficult. Or uh, I was thinking of this yesterday, maybe like a uh, uh, a Miami Dolphins football win this year, from what I hear. They're, they're not going to be very good. It, it might be difficult. And for some of us, finding confidence in our life is almost like that. Now, now I'll tell you, when children are young, they tend to have confidence if we don't drive it out of them too, too quickly. So Charlotte and I have probably told some of you this before, but we have a, a granddaughter who is 11, I guess, 13, I forget which one she is now, but she was three when she, did, when she said this. She said to Charlotte, I was a witness to this, she said, uh, I'm in charge and I'm serious. At age three, she said that to her grandmother and it was like, oh, this will be interesting, this will be interesting. She's actually turning out to be quite a nice little girl, but at the time we wondered. There's a picture on the screen of... Uh, of uh, some boys that I knew some of these kids uh, a few years ago when I was doing an interim in California. And it was so fun. I'd never gone to a Pop Warner football game. My kids were so small, there wouldn't be a chance that they would ever play that game. And then when I went and saw this, I thought, well, my kids could have played this thing. They were six and seven years old. And I mean, they played with confidence. They thought they were the monsters of the midway in Chicago. They were actually the Bengals from Wasco, California. But nonetheless, they, they just had this... And the coach would just speak positive things and they believed it and they ran out on the little field and it didn't take much for them to fall over from the weight of the helmet and the shoulder pads and things. But, but there was this confidence and I thought, I wonder how long that will last. It's interesting to consider uh, America today. We're far more confident about ourselves than we are about our institutions. Uh, some of the statistics are, this is from a poll a few years ago, but not many now. 69% of Americans said that their value, the values of our nation have declined since the 1970s. I don't think any of us would argue with that, whether it's in the business world or the religious world, faith, ethics, all kinds of areas. There's been this dim, dim, diminishing of confidence in uh, the values that we represent. But at the same time, almost the same number, 70% said this, I believe that with hard work I can accomplish anything. Not almost, I can, I can do it. If I just work hard enough. Now I've heard everybody from all kinds of backgrounds tell kids they can. And maybe that's you. Maybe you believe that if you just work harder, you'll make it. Well, that may be true in a number of areas of our life, but have you ever considered really the spiritual area of our life as it relates to confidence? Should we as believers be a people of confidence even though we know it is Christ who makes life what it's intended to be? 
So let me ask you a question this morning. How's your relationship with God? In, a spirit, in the spiritual sense, do you have confidence with God? Now, I'm not talking about this. I'm not saying, are you confident that when, if you were to die today that you would go to heaven? I hope that you can answer that question affirmatively, that you are confident of that based upon the promises of God. But what I'm talking about is the daily life uh, with Christ. Are we living spiritually, confidently with God? Now, how we're getting along with God. What would happen to me if God did come today and I stood eventually before the judgment seat of God? What would be my response to Him? What would He see in me? Would He find me a person of faith or confidence? So here's this passage of Scripture, and that really is what it is describing for us even this morning. I, I learned long time ago when I was quite young that um, I needed Christ in my life. I, 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 I knew, I don't know exactly how I knew all these things, but I knew that my life was marred by sin and that that sin had to be dealt with and that the only way that sin was going to be dealt with was by the work of Christ on the cross as we have sung this morning. And I, I learned that I needed to trust Him for my salvation. And I did that. I did that. And I thought, now this is going to get good. Things, things are going to be good for me now that I'm a, a believer. And that didn't last very long. Uh, I, I, I quickly realized that I still had it in for my brother and sister. I'm a middle child. We, we have to defend ourselves. And I, I did many times in an inappropriate way. Every, every, every once in a while, maybe far more than I will ever admit, uh, some thoughts that probably only Hugh Hefner would have been proud of entered my adolescent mind. And uh, I thought, this, is not, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Uh, uh, this is difficult for me. And yet, um, that was my life. And I saw in the Bible that, that, that Paul referred to our sins as filthy rags and I said amen to Paul that's me and if he was the chief of sinners what's worse than that because whatever it is worse than that that's me too and so I struggled with these lessons in life here's one of my life lessons that I believe that the more I focus on myself however the less confident I am in my spiritual journey the more I focus on myself the less confident I am in my spiritual journey. Nonetheless, our text speaks today about what God would give to us, and that is a life of confidence. The road, the road called confidence. So, we begin with verse 28. John, again, uses, as we saw a few weeks ago, addressing the church as our little, my little children, my beloved children. He says, abide in Him, in Christ, so that when He appears, we may have, and there's this word, confidence, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. It's possible that we will not have confidence or this verse would not have been written. It is possible for us to shrink in shame at His coming or this verse would not have been written. There's a lesson from this text from God to our hearts that says that we as His followers ought to have a boldness. That's what this 
uh, word in the Greek New Testament might be translated, or frankness about life, that we might have the ability to be unashamed at the end of the game when Christ comes. That, that's kind of a paraphrase of this. So I want you to know right from the start this morning that this confidence is meant for all of us, young and old. This is written to the church. It's not a personal letter to an individual. It's written to us as a church. Individually, corporately, there ought to be a sense of confidence in our life so that when we stand at the judgment seat uh, of Christ, our lives, our minds, our hearts will be ready to meet our Savior. So that, that's what I'm signing up for. I, I'm signing up for a time when God will say, uh, Job, not bad. A lot, a lot of little things going on here, but, but I want you to know, uh, well done good and faithful servant. I'd like that to be my induction speech from God as he introduces me to the eternal family. Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I think that's the intent of this passage of Scripture for us today. So let's not forget that we will stand. That's what Roman, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us. We will stand before God, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him that's a great statement, for the things done while in the body, that means right here, whether good or bad. You can't get around that verse, nor some of the things that we're about to see in this passage. So here's my thesis for today. Not only when our earthly life ends, but even today, we can travel the road of spiritual confidence by lining ourselves up with the principles of this passage. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's just three of them that we'll look at. I'll try to move through them. The last one really is going to take some work. So we have to get there uh, this morning. That's my job to get you there. I know that. So let's do it. Spiritual confidence then is experienced, listen to this, when we are truly convinced that God is really righteous. I know that sounds like, where is this going? No, stay with me, because the, the more you think about yourself, the less confidence you're going to have. The more you think about who God is, the greater your confidence will be in your Christian spiritual walk. So the first is this, that we will we'll have spiritual confidence or it's experience when we are truly convinced that God is truly righteous. So verse 29, and by the way, as you've seen in my teaching in, in 1 John, I find myself just kind of combing through the text to see the principles that come out. So we see this in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, I could just stop right there. You may be sure you may be sure that everyone who, who practices righteousness has been born of him. It really doesn't matter what you do in life. It really does not matter what I do in life unless I am convinced of the righteousness of God. So a friend of mine uh, who has gone to be with the Lord, a pastor friend at a large church out in our area in California, used to oftentimes even meetings that I'd be with him, he'd get up and he'd say, God is good. They would say all the time. He would say all the time. They would say, God is good. I like that. It's true. I wondered if he would ever, Ron would ever get up and say, God is righteous all the time. All the time, God is righteous. We don't usually make, we think about the goodness of God and they really are interrelated. But the text here that we're looking at this morning says, God, you are righteous, and people of God, children of God, beloved children of God, believe this, that God is righteous all the time. Not everybody, you, you might think everybody's convinced of that. Don't, 
don't assume that. There are people from the past who tried to figure out how God could have both goodness and evil within himself. That They were trying to understand the nature of God. Those same people are the people who ask the question today, how could a God who is good allow some horrific act to take place at some school or some cancer to kill someone that we love? How could a good God allow... People still ask that same question about how can God, the goodness of God and the evil of God be abiding in the same person? And the fact is that the evil of this world is not in God. That God does allow these things to take place, and that's another whole sermon or book, really, that one could study and, and think about. But, but the fact is that God is righteous all the time. All the time, God is righteous. There is no wrong in Him. You'll see that as you just page or work your way through this page of Scripture today. It is impossible for the sovereign God in any way to embrace in His own being something that is not righteous. And so our righteousness always flows out of His. So if we're to be confident at the end, we need to be confident in the present of the righteousness of God. If you're not, read the passage and read the passage and read the passage and then read some other things. We, we don't, we, we've got to read books. We've got to do things with writing. So read A Generous Justice by Timothy Keller, R.C. Sproul's book, The Holiness of God, or, J, or, or Jerry Bridges' book on holiness, or uh, J.I. Packer's book on holiness. There's a number of them. The holiness of God needs to be known. God is always righteous always righteous don't compare what you think god should be like with your version of righteousness his is always righteous uh, uh, i know that we've all experienced some joy in reading some of max lucato's uh, books but he wrote a book called traveling light uh, some years ago but in it he told the story uh, where he was trying to feel righteous about himself, good about himself. And, and, and a person had come up to him once and said, I'm not perfect, Max, but, but I'm better than most folks. Uh, this morning I, I walked across the street because my uh, uh, neighbor who's from Nepal, I don't know all of his religious convictions at this point, but I can guess at them, uh, he was out pulling a few weeds and his lawn looks a whole lot better than mine. I say, oh, I'm going off to speak at a church this morning. When I get there, I'm going to tell him that we can't compare, compare our goodness with God's goodness. I said, like, I can't compare my lawn with yours. Mine looks halfway decent until I look at yours. It's always a matter of comparison. So Max Licato told this, Licato told this, this story of his own life that when he was a boy... His mother would say, go clean your room. The little boy, and Max would say, my room is clean. She said, oh, no, it's not clean at all. He said, oh, yes, Mom, come on. And he walked her down the hall, not to his room, but to his brother's room. He said, look at my brother's room. It's terrible. My room's much cleaner than his. <laughs> he, was, he, he was comparing it with his brother. His mother said, come with me. She took him to her room. And, of course, as Max referred to it, you know, her bedroom was righteous and her bathroom was righteous and her closet was righteous. 
There was no comparison. Our, our righteousness is like a filthy rag, but God is. You know, He wrote this book and then He said, and I'll live it out. I tell my kids to do things and then I fudge. Not God. He's righteous. He's righteous. Got that? That's number one. Number two, road to confidence uh, is, is experienced when we accept the truth that we are really God's children. That's also in verse 29 and then down through verse 3 of the next chapter. We, we need to be convinced that we are really God's children. And that's one of the real struggles that many people have in their life at different times. Sometimes it, it's a, 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 a chronic uh, situation. Sometimes, as in the medical word, it's more acute. It's very deep. But the chronic element of it seems to come back to us. We need, we must, if we're going to uh, live in confidence, we must be re- we must really have to believe that we are God's children. Now, not everybody in the world is, right? I was talking with Dave before service this morning. Not everybody is, but we were all we were all created in the image of God. Everyone was. We were uh, we were uh, created by God just itself. We were loved by God. All people are loved in one sense by God. But look at the end of this in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been, and there is the first time you find this phrase in John's writing, has been born of him. There's that born again thing that you you sometimes miss in in a reading like this, but that's what it's talking about, been born of him. Now the Bible goes on and says we are adopted by him. We're born by Him. That is, His life is then placed in us and that likeness of God begins that restoration and that that renewal and that really transformation of our lives. New birth. It's ours. John insists in chapter 3, verse 1 then, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You know, it's probably a bad illustration, but I all I can see is a piece of chicken that's been marinating for a long time in something really good. I'm <laughs> that chicken. Uh, and God has lavished. He's, he's just spread the most most wonderful, imaginable nature of God, His life on me. And you, he's made us his own. We belong to God. It's like your dog. You get him in the front seat of your car, not your side, but the other side. The window's down. He's got his head flapping outside the the window and he's going, I'm with him. This is the greatest thing in the world. I'm with him. And I'm I'm riding this life with God. I'm I'm with him. I'm his child, not his dog. Much more than that. This is incredible. This is glorious. We're God's kids, as the program refers to us, and our children as well. And listen, if we, we want to remember where we've come from, here's a picture of an orphanage. Uh, years ago, uh, I had the privilege of going to Romania right after the fall of Ceausescu's government and walking into these, these orphanages. And this is actually, a, I actually have some kids smiling in this picture, but Boy, I, I still have embedded in my mind that first picture of walking in, these, these children who 
the hardest imaginable life because Ceausescu would not allow for abortion, which is a good thing, but then they would take all these children who nobody wanted. They put them in an orphanage and they were going to be the soldiers in the army. That's, that was their purpose. They designed, it was all designed by an evil man. But can you imagine one of these children seeing some couple walk into that orphanage and saying, I want him, I want her, I'll take that one, I'll take this one. You know, some of them would have lice. Some of them would have cleft, uh, a cleft foot um, or, or cleft palate, excuse me. They're like me, a sinner, a failure, the people who couldn't get it right. And God says, I want that one. I want that one. Adopted as children of God. I like the way J.I. Packer puts it as he's paraphrasing some writings of Paul in Galatians, he says that we were given permanent intimacy with God as our Heavenly Father. Important words. Permanent intimacy with God as our Heavenly Father. So, just a couple of other nuggets about this relationship with Him. There is a legal aspect of this, but if we read this passage of Scripture, we'll see that it's not just that. It's not just that we are His, but there ought to be something noticeable about us. Look at verse 1. Now, this doesn't show up in everybody's translation. It does show up in the ESV. Just the first word. It says, see, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Uh, we're to be noticeable that that we others should see that we are the children of God. The word see means keep your eye on this. You get it. Don't lose sight of this. There ought to be something in our life that is changed and people can tell. Just last fall, I had an appointment with a fellow that I had never met. It was easy to pick him out when we met at a Starbucks because he was six foot seven. He didn't tell me he was going to be six foot seven. But when a guy walks in, I, I thought, are you Ian? It was. And, and Ian was an AmeriCorps worker. And I don't know what you know about AmeriCorps. I don't know a whole lot, except they try to do good humanitarian things. And humanitarian things are good. I appreciate that. But it doesn't mean they have a relationship with God in particular. So I didn't know what I was going to get into when I started talking with Ian. But you know, it was obvious to me. He was a follower of Jesus. He worked with Bridge Refugee Services. And they have to be careful how they dot their I's and cross their T's and what they can and can not say about religious things and I but it didn't take me long I knew and I said Ian you're a follower of Jesus aren't you he said I am I am it's obvious I could see it sometimes people will say and this has happened to me people will say uh, you, you, you shouldn't judge me you don't know that I'm I'm not a, a follower of him how do you know that I don't follow Jesus and I say sometimes if I have a relationship I can tell when you are. I can tell when a person is. I don't always know if a person isn't. But there ought to be something visible about our life. Not only that, there, there, is this, there is not only this matter of seeing this love of God in our lives, but secondly, there is this promise that God is going to take us as His children. And He's, he's not done with us yet. I have hope for this. When I was as young as some of you, I was thinking... Uh, what, what, what improvement could there be? You know, I'm a, I'm a strong young man. But that's not true anymore. There's a promise of a physical change that is yet to come because we are the children of God. You see that as well? A verse 2, when Christ comes, 
we'll take on His image or His likeness that was once provided in the Garden of Eden. It's not going to happen in this life. I mean, there is an element so that we can be seen, but there's something yet transforming that is going to take place. Paul would talk about this. Peter talks about this. I'm going to have a new look someday. It's not going to be GQ. It's going to be G-O-D. God's look. And I have confidence. See, I have confidence in this life because of who God is, His righteousness, and who He is. And He has declared that I am His child because I am His child. I can have confidence in this walk of life as well. Come on, church. We belong to Him. We get to speak with or pray and be heard. We get to be touched by God, disciplined by God, comforted by God. We are His. We have forgiveness, we have peace, and we have joy. We belong to Him. That's part of the road of confidence. Now there's, there's just one more that I'll try to look at with you quickly, but it's important that we see this. This leads us to the last principle for the road of confidence. And it's a tough one, as I've said. It, it will knock some of us... Uh, some of our feet kind of will shake a little bit. But it has to do with holiness. It has to do with living holy lives. I've, I've heard people say, numbers of times, we need to live a life of obedience. What they mean by that is we need to do what God wants us to do. So for me, that's going to Albania or helping start a ministry in a church, a number of different things. And that, that's kind of the message. Be obedient to what... But there's something deeper. It's far more foundational than that. And it's found here in this passage. It has to do with holiness. That we must really practice purity. We must practice purity. Verse 3. Everyone who has this hope, when we just talked about, purifies himself. Do you see that? In the same way, or to the same degree... Did he have to add this? Because, you know, I could wash some of the dirt off, but do I have to get it all? Like, do I have to get the stuff from under my nails too? Uh, Mom, yeah, that's part of it. We are to be purifying ourselves as God is pure. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we need to be ceremonial pure, pure because that doesn't make any sense to who the God is. So if I were a Jewish person, I might think that, but that's not what... That's not what John is writing. He has to be speaking about moral purity. There are different kinds of laws in the Old Testament. You know this. Some pertain to the kingdom. They just pertain to, to who the people were and how they were to function as a theocracy. There were some that had to do with how they practiced their religion that was ceremonial. But there was a lot of the Old Testament that we need to be living and holding to today. And it was this matter of moral purity. It hasn't shifted. Whatever was morally pure uh, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, is still true today. But here's where, here's where the text gets very difficult. So you may not be convinced of this, all right? And don't call me a heretic. I, I will let you believe what you believe as well because it is debated. But there is, the rest of this paragraph should go something like this. I believe that while we are his children, no question, we are his children. And while the first chapter of 
1 John clearly says that we do sin. If we don't sin, we lie. Remember that? Nonetheless, he says, our confidence ultimately is ours when we are living according to this, that as he is pure, we are to make ourselves pure. I'm not talking about your salvation experience. There's something else here. In other words, this isn't just about getting it right most of the time. So most of our translations, including the one that's in front of me, indicate, kind of help us see this, but it, it conflicts biblically for me. I, I, that's my struggle. That, that if I, you know, if my pattern is pure overall, uh, then I, that, that's, that's all that God ever asks. I don't think so. See, so if I'm to have confidence in my spiritual life, I am to be making myself pure all the time. Otherwise, I couldn't resist this picture. Otherwise, it would be like me trying to face a Kershaw curveball. I mean, I could just stand there. I can feel it. I mean, I've never really played much baseball, but I can feel it right now. My heart is r racing because there's no way that I could possibly think I could hit that curveball. I mean, his curveball is unbelievable. I got to have more confidence in life than that. So how pure is pure? Well, how much ink in a clear glass of water makes it unpure? A drop. Oh, I can't live that kind of life. Listen, that's uh, th don't don't lose me yet. That's right. You can't. Well, you can, but you won't. You can, but you won't. Before I was a believer, I only couldn't. I couldn't. It was always eh. I was always wrong. Now as a believer, I can, but I won't. That's what John tells us. In fact, he uses, and I, I won't go, go into this for, with you, but, but you, can, uh, you might want to trust me with this, that if we use the present tense that is used here, not the passive version of it, but the present tense, he has to be saying that we are to make ourselves pure now in our life. Here's what we have to do with the translation, though. 6b, verse 6b. In, uh, uh, yeah, uh, 6b. Let me read it in the, e in the ESV. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Okay, that's, that's the tough phrase. Can I give it to you what I think it's supposed to be? Here's what I think it's supposed to be. No one who sins is in a, present tense, is in a seeing or knowing relationship with God. It's a different, very different. Here's what it means, and we'll, we'll wrap this up quickly. Here's what it means, that when, I'm, when there's sin in my life that I know about and I've not confessed it, if you don't know about it, it's still there, but th I, I think Paul or John is getting at, there are sins in our life we know about, and God will reveal to us what those are, and we're not confessing them, then we're going to live without confidence that God wanted us to have in our life spiritually. What does sin do? Sin deceives us. Sin itself gets us to think that we're okay. Even Eve in the garden thought she was okay. She was good enough. 
Romans 6 says, what shall we say then? First part of verse of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? You remember the response of Paul? No! By no means, he said. So, here's what I'm going to ask of us as we finish. We need to keep short accounts with God. We need to keep short accounts with God. The person that doesn't is not going to live in confidence spiritually. The person who is confident that God is always righteous and that we are his children is the person who is then going to say, I really want to practice purity in my life. This is not about showing up to church on time, if that's on your list. This is not about making sure I gave exactly 10% as one person in this community, not in this church, said to me. He said, I, my wife decides, she gets to decide for 5% and I get to decide for 5%. We don't go to church very often, so and he described it all for me and I just chuckled inside, uh, not to his face, but I thought as it was my first conversation with him and that was the topic. Is this tithing? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the bitterness, the envy, the strife, the lust, the things that the scriptures talk about are of the soul. We've got to keep short accounts with God. And how do we do that? Let me just skip ahead and go past a couple of slides here. Um, how do we do that? We do that as we remain in God. That has been the theme of this writing all along. Verse Verse 9 tells us that God's seed remains or abides in that person and we abide in him. Repeatedly, repeatedly, John makes that statement. So while other people might be asking, you know, what should we do for God? I'm going to just start by saying, let's just work on abiding in him. Let's abide in him. Let's remain in him. Verse 24, verse 27, verse 28, four times. We looked at before, verse 6, verse 7. It comes over and over again in this passage of Scripture. Let me ask you three questions as we apply this. Number one, which way am I moving or shifting right now? Either towards Christ or towards the world. You, you can only answer that question. Don't try to answer it toward, for somebody sitting next to you or for your kids or your parents. You have to answer that for yourself. And what, am I shifting towards Christ or away from Christ? Second question is, is um, what am I saying with my life? What are other people seeing in my life? Am I confessing or am I skirting? Am I confessing who Christ is in a bold way? Or whenever, whatever way God gives me. Sometimes it's little things, like you bow your head at a restaurant and you pray. It's a little thing. Tennessee, that doesn't mean much because everybody does it here, I think. But, but, but where I came from, man, that, that stood out like a sore thumb. But what am I confessing with my life? Do people see Jesus? And where am I staying? That's the third question. It's the question of abiding. Where am I living? Am I living in Christ? You can only answer that question. But as a church, hold to these principles. Hold to these principles. Uh, Charlotte and I, are th we think we're going to build a pavilion, a pavilion in our backyard. It'll be 10 feet by 14 feet. It's huge, huge. Just kidding. It's very small, but that's all. We have a small backyard. And, uh, but, you know, wherever we've lived, we've always thought, well, wouldn't it be nice to be outside? 
it's kind of an interesting thing. I, so I did a little bit of research on this. Uh, the, in, the American Institute of Architects indicates that there's a large increase in interest in outdoor living spaces. We're doing the right thing, see? Uh, places for people, to, adults to relax and for kids to play. That's how they describe it. People say this, and I quote, they want a luxurious outdoor world right in their backyard so they can escape their everyday life, hang out as a family, spend time outside their own home. Now, I can tell you, we have a little piece of concrete in the back of our yard. It's certainly with a couple of little umbrellas. It's not very luxurious right now, and where we lived in California, somebody might think it was, but it wasn't. I can tell you that. Uh, but I will tell you this also, we don't spend any time in our backyard. Uh, we didn't spend much time in our backyard in California either. It was either too hot or it was too cold. It was one or the other, but it was rarely that it was right. So we're not alone. So Charlotte and I are still pursuing this, by the way. UCLA did a study three years or about five years ago now in the Los Angeles area, and they actually shot footage of kids. And here's, here's what it is. Kids spend 40 minutes a week, a week on their outside property, their property, 40 minutes a week. And you want to guess how much time adults spent in Los Angeles? 15 minutes. I could mow my lawn in 20. So I, I actually spent more than the average in my, my home back in California. Where are they? Well, they're watching TV. They're on their computer. Uh, they're, they're, they're putzing around in the garage. They're, they're doing something in the house. But they say, we, we, we've got this outdoor space. We want to enjoy it. But they never do. A long way to say this. That God has given us a life in Him. And we say, I'm going to enjoy him. I'm going to spend time with him. But most of us are still inside the house, our house, when what he wants us to do is come on out. Come on out and enjoy me. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, we pray that your word, not my words, but your word, would stand in such a way before our eyes that we would embrace it and want to live it. We ask God that you would help each of us not just to contemplate it, but to say yes to you. Help us this day to recognize your righteousness, your holiness, our relationship with you as children, your children loved by you. Help us to see, Lord, that even though we will fail, if we want to walk this road of confidence, whether it's as a church or as individuals, we will be a people who seek to live a life that is pure, as you are, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.